verses 15 to 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I want us to think about image. Because today, image is everything. And having said that, I've already failed, because, you know, I just don't think I cut the mustard, as they say. Um... It's why I don't bring my mobile phone to church. I'm too embarrassed to take it out. It's uh, it's a very old model, and it just doesn't stack up against the, the modern uh, iPhones and Galaxy 10s or whatever uh, people have in their pockets these days. And yet, let us think about our own image. What is it that is special about you and me? Hands up if you feel special today. Yeah? Okay. And yet, as we think about images, if we think of all of creation, as we just did in that song, um, I didn't know that song was going to be songs until I'd already worked this out, but, uh, you know, we cannot compete with the breathtaking beauty of the peacock in all its finery. Um, I don't think any of us have the strength of an elephant. Um We cannot match the speed of a diving eagle. And I suspect that not one of us is going to outlive the age of 
the great oak. And yet, as we look at all these different things in creation, and stunning though they are, it is you and I as human beings who are particularly special. So special, in fact, that we are clearly set apart from other living beings. And I want to explore why that is today. We are uniquely special simply because we all bear the image of our creator. And the opening chapter of Genesis, and a a dear friend of mine who's long since gone to be with the Lord, used to say, if you understand the first three verses of Genesis, you can understand the rest of Scripture. And um, we read this in um, the first chapter of Genesis. God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And that is the great opening statement that defines you and me as something substantially different from the rest of creation. Because only the human being is created in the image and the likeness of God. And the word image that we find in our Bible, if we looked at a deeper translation of it, it means to carve or to cut. So when you think of an image, think of someone who's carved an image out. And that's the same word that is used in scripture to describe um, this image. Let us make man in our image. So it's more than just an image, it's a true likeness. And all of God's creation, of course, testifies to the goodness and greatness of God. But human beings bear the very image of God. And there's a very old theologian who was practicing over a hundred years ago called Herman Bavink, and he said something quite useful, I think. Uh, That's a picture of him there. He looks a little bit stern. He was a Dutch theologian. Um, But he said this. He said, the entire world is a revelation of God, and I'm sure we would agree with that. A mirror of his virtues and perfections. Every creature is in his own way and according to his own measure an embodiment of divine thought. But he goes on to say, but among all creatures, only man is the image of God, the highest and richest revelation of God and therefore head and crown of the entire creation. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Well, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It does not mean that God looks like you and me. We can eliminate that idea that God looks like an old man with a long beard. Um, We cannot equate physical attributes and characteristics of the human being with the glory of our eternal God. Rather, to be created in the image of God is to reflect and to mirror some of God's great qualities. We cannot reflect the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the ever-present qualities of God, but we are creative. We are capable of love. We can discern right from wrong. And we're a given 
an ability to make decisions and to rule. We saw that in that uh, those verses from, from Genesis. It was God's intention that we should rule this earth. We can be compassionate. And we are social beings who delight in true fellowship. It's one of the reasons we're here this morning, isn't it? And we have the potential and the capacity to know our creator. And the first chapter of Genesis also informs us regarding God's creation that includes making man in his image. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Man was created perfectly and created to reflect God's image perfectly but sin has spoilt that perfection and therefore in a sense corrupted what should have been a perfect image. Man as he came from the hands of the creator was not corrupt or depraved or sinful. The human being was in a state of integrity, of innocence and indeed of holiness. And so we may conclude that whatever we see in human society today, we see things that are evil, we see things that are perverted, they were not part of God's original creation of man because at the time of creation everything was very good and to try and help us to understand what's gone on here um, I began to think about paintings I'm not an expert in paintings but here we have uh, a painting by Nicolas Poussin I suppose I think he was a French artist I'm not very sure Um, Interestingly enough, this is the Adoration of the Golden Calf, um, an image taken from Exodus, and uh, sadly it was vandalised. And here we have the picture in the National Gallery where someone has sprayed paint over it. Um, I don't know when this was done, it was a a little while ago, I think. But somebody had vandalised that painting and spoilt its surface by spraying paint on it. And we can see the original image is sort of still there. We can still see the golden calf, but maybe some of the people have now been obscured in that painting. But it has been corrupted. It has been obscured. The image is still there, but it's what we might call an abused image. And you know, that's what makes sin so serious. It is that fact that what was given by God, those powers that have been given by God, those gifts given by him, um, are now, in a sense, turned against what God wanted us to be. And that's one of the reasons why murder is such a a great crime, a very serious crime. Um, in Genesis 9, um, we read this, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. And there is the idea there that murder, in a sense, is a destruction of an image of God. It's a creation of God, um, who's a person who's been made in God's image. And to murder someone is, in a sense, violence against God himself. Uh, and this is the same thought that James brings up in, in the New Testament in his letter. He said, um, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Um, And James here points out that inconsistency, that we use our tongue on the one hand to praise God, but we also sometimes use it to curse men. 
And that's an inconsistency simply because human beings are made in God's image. So when we curse a human being, in a sense, we are cursing God because that person has been made in the image of God. Uh, And James goes on in the next verse and says, Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be so. Um, I was brought up fairly abruptly yesterday because I was driving home from work and somebody cut me up. And the first thing I did was I I, I said something I simply could not repeat here uh, against that person. Um, I cursed that person because they cut me up and then... Even worse, they were so slow I couldn't get through the traffic lights. You know, it was just awful. But then I reminded myself that I'm preaching about this this morning. And you see, it's so easy to do that, isn't it? It's so easy to use that tongue which I've been using to praise God this morning. But yesterday I used it against a human being who was made in God's image. I didn't actually see who it was. It was even worse than that. So do be careful with this. Um, Understanding that all human beings are made in God's image is really important. So we all bear the image of God, albeit that our image may be corrupted or distorted or obscured due to sin, but the majority of mankind will never actually understand this idea at all. Um, Many will be completely indifferent to the fact. Uh, There might be some who would be violently opposed to the fact if you said... You're made in God's image. They might not like that. And yet the truth is, every person that you and I meet are indeed created in the image of God. And we should never forget that in our dealings with the world. We should recognize other people as those who God has created in his own image. And that's a real challenge, I think, for us. But let's go back to that picture that was vandalized how can we get that vandalized picture back to what it should be we need to restore it and the same is true of the image that you and I have that has been marred or broken by sin but how do we know what our picture our image should really look like how should we how can we know what the original picture that image that God had for us actually looks like how how can we do that well Simply, we need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in him we have the perfect image of God. And in him we have the perfect image which should be ours. And uh, we read this morning that um, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And we're also told, more than that, that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we look to Jesus, we have, um, that's as best as we can possibly get in terms of trying to understand what our image should have been like. Um, We'll also read something else from Paul, who says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Many people out there today will not acknowledge that this is the Lord's day um, because they have been blinded by the God of this age. And uh, they will not understand that Christ is the very image of God. And perhaps the greatest statement of this comes out of the opening verses in Hebrews where we're told that Jesus Christ, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory 
and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And again, that phrase, exact representation, um, if we were to look at the original translation of that word, it's a word that relates to the image on a coin. If you look on the back of the coin, you see the image of our queen and the exact representation of Jesus as the sun, reflecting the radiance of God's glory, is as dynamic as that image you get on a coin. And of course it was Jesus himself who said to the disciples, if anyone who's seen me, they have seen the Father. Jesus being the exact image of his Father, God. So God made man in his image, and this truth is clear, not only from the Old Testament, but also the New Testament. We've looked at a few verses that have suggested this. Um, But the Bible also teaches that Jesus Christ is the perfect image of God, but also he is the perfect image of mankind. And therefore he is what God wants you and me to be like. If you and I bear a corrupted image of God through sin, then as we come to Christ, we then bear the perfect and exact image of God through Jesus Christ. When you look at the distorted image of God in every human being, we see that vandalism of sin. But when you look at Christ, you see what you and I should be like. You see the great master's painting, to use that analogy that we thought about. We see it with all the vandalism turned round again, without any blemish, without any tarnish. You see that painting as it was always meant to be. And this is why there's a great mystery about uh, our Lord. And perhaps the greatest mystery was that Jesus Christ became truly a man. He assumed human flesh and he lived amongst sinful mankind. And we're told this in the opening uh, chapter of John's Gospel. The word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And as we think about we being made in the image of God and the fact that sin has distorted that image, then it is appropriate that Christ, as the second person of the Trinity, is the only one who could have come and assumed human nature. And he came to show us what that perfect image should be. God did not send an angel. He didn't send some different heavenly being. He sent himself through Jesus to become a man like you and I are members of the human race, to show us that perfect image of God. And if you like, Jesus Christ then is the supreme visual aid that God has provided for us. As we look at Christ, there is no better way for us to understand what the image of God looks like we then begin to understand what it is that God wanted for you and for me. As we look at Christ, we see 
one who is totally sinless. We see one who, whose obedience to the Father is perfect. We see one whose prayer life is unparalleled. And we see one whose love for his people is beyond human understanding. And perhaps as we look at Christ, you and I maybe are ashamed when we contrast our own lives with his. Because Jesus Christ is that mirror before us. As we look at him, we can see our own shortcomings. If you like, we can see the vandalism of sin in our own lives. But when we look at Christ, we see what God's intentions are for you and for me. So is there hope for us? Well, of course there is. Can we ever have that perfect image that has been damaged by sin fully restored? Well, of course we can. And again, we read that remarkable verse this morning from Colossians, which said this. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And it is that remarkable work of salvation that is the beginning of the restoration of our image. It's that first step to restore our corrupted images when we submit to the saving work of Christ. Because it's only Christ who bears the perfect image of God. And only Christ, therefore, through his death on the cross, could deal with our sin. But you know, salvation is not simply the removal of sin from our lives. It's much, much more than that. And wonderful though it is to say that our sin has been dealt with on the cross, there is so much more. Because salvation is also a lifelong process of restoration. We continue to grow in Christ. We continue to study his word, to to come together in worship. We grow spiritually as Christians and God's spirit works within us. It's a lifelong process of restoration. And it's not until the end of this life that that restoration process is fully um, concluded. But it will take place. And um, uh, the second part of Colossians that we read, uh, it was sort of reminding us that as new creations in Christ, we should not lie to each other uh, because we've taken off the old self. Um, That's the corrupted image. And we've put on the new self, which is the image of Christ. And then we're told that it is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. What a wonderful statement. Um, That's happening at this very moment, and it will happen throughout our lives. We will be renewed in knowledge in the image of our creator. And then um, there are other instructions that Paul gives us. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Because that moment of restoration, that moment when our eyes are open to understand salvation in Christ is the beginning of that restoration of our image. 
And though as human beings we are constantly tempted to look backwards to what we were, um, Paul says, set your minds on things above. Think about heaven. Think about your future, your eternal future. That, that should be, it's, it's, uh, Paul describes, you know, running a race and, and, and going for the goal. It's the same idea. We, 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 we look towards Christ and the image that is ours in Christ. Um, but you know, we have all sorts of things on our minds. We often think about physical comfort. We like to be people who are physically fulfilled, mentally fulfilled in this world. Sometimes we like power and recognition, don't we? We, we, we are very proud people often. Uh, sometimes we are single-minded in the way we pursue things, uh, just for our own uh, interest. Um, we use our minds in all sorts of ways, and sometimes we use our minds quite selfishly. I know I do. But Paul is saying here, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Try and find your satisfaction no longer in the things of this world, but in the things of God. And therefore we need to consciously immerse ourselves in the things of God. We need to study God's word. We need to come together for prayer. We need to join in fellowship. Um, and we need to think very deeply about what all of this means and what the Lord Jesus has done for us on the cross and that his image is the image to which we should aspire. But to think heaven is hard. Uh, but God in his grace does not leave it all to our own efforts. Because just as a damaged picture cannot restore itself, it is rather the work of the master restorer, then so in our lives as Christians, this work is actually the work of God's spirit. It's not our work, it's the work of the spirit. And, uh, you know, Paul again gives us great assurance. He says in very bold words, that God foreknew and predestined that we should be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You see, if God started a work in you and me, as he has, he's not going to give up. And that um, is a very bold statement indeed, that that restoration work will one day be completed. And uh, Paul, again in Ephesians, says something quite similar. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Um, that's why he created us, so that he would have a people of his own who would be holy and blameless. In other words, perfectly like Christ. And uh, Paul thinks of the old self and the new self uh, in Corinthians. And he says, just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Our corrupted state, the damaged image, is the earthly man. But through salvation... And through the work of the Spirit in our lives, as we grow in Christ, we are made to bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So, if we go back um, to Colossians again, and uh, we see these words. Uh, we died in Christ, that's when we became Converted, saved, or whatever you like, the phrase you want to call it. Um, and in a sense, our life is now hidden with Christ in God. But we're told this, that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
One day Christ will return. We've been told that um, by Christ himself. Jesus said, I will return. And on that day, we also will appear with him in glory. Um, We will see our perfect images uh, as they were always meant to be. So what should our attitude to all of this be? Well, if we remain indifferent or apathetic, then that will be a terrible tragedy, I think. And if uh, I only rejoice in this because it gives me comfort, then I've sort of missed the point. Um, This knowledge of God's intention to renew us perfectly to the perfect image of Christ should lead us into deeper worship of our creator God. It should become for us a moment-by-moment wonder for praise and gratitude. We should never lose sight of what God is doing for us through Christ. Um, And although I've said it is the work of the Holy Spirit, yet there is some shared responsibility. Other places in the Bible we're told to be imitators of God. Uh, We've already read that we should set our minds on the things of God. And we've also uh, had the idea that we should work out our salvation through dedicated study and prayer lives. But we should look at all things in the light of our own destiny, which is to be fully restored to the image of Christ. And therefore, if we bear the full image of Christ, and we know that Christ bears the full image of God, it means that we too will bear that perfect image of God that was God's full intention when he created us. So as we look around this morning, do you and I see the image of Christ in each other? Um, Well, actually, yes, we do. Um, As we look around, we do see Christ in each other. And that's one of the joys of being part of a Christian fellowship. Um, It's not that we are perfect yet, We've still got a long way to go. But there is something about Christian fellowship which is really special. Those acts of kindness, that dedication to the fellowship by quite a diverse group of people. Um, We pray for each other. We pray for situations in the world. And we have that renewed desire to share the gospel that we know with people who bear the image of God but people who themselves are not aware that they bear the image of God. They perhaps don't even care about it either. But it is our great desire that they too should understand that they are made in the image of God and that through Christ their own image can be fully restored. All these thoughts are evidence that the restoration work of bringing that image back to the image of Christ is already happening, is here amongst us. And, and that is the great excitement of being a Christian. It's, it's knowing that we are saved, but it's knowing that we are being restored to the image of Christ. But I want to leave the final word to Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, who makes a glorious futuristic statement about um, where we are going in all of this. He said, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory 
which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let us dwell upon that, and let us praise our wonderful Creator, who made each one of us in his own image. Amen.